Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 55 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together this week helps you lead like never before. My guest today is somebody that if you've been a regular listener, you've already met. His name is Brad Lominick, and he is the very first return guest. You will hear some more of them in season two, season three, and beyond. But I'm just thrilled to have uh, Brad back on. And he's had a fascinating year. When we last talked to him at the beginning, I think, uh, end of 2014, He was just in the process of stepping back from Catalyst as president and CEO of Catalyst. And we catch up with him. He's got a brand new book that released last week, which honestly, I mean, I've read a lot of books. I just think it's one of the best leadership books I've read, period. It's called H3 Leadership. He'll be talking about that, but really about the internal uh, journey he's had as a leader over the last few years. And how he burned out, how he wasn't leading well, even though he was leading probably one of the premier leadership organizations, uh, how that changed his heart and uh, what you need to do to be able to gain an edge in leadership. So Brad and I are going to talk about that. Plus, if you hang on, he's going to be giving away 25 copies of H3 Leadership today. So hang on to the end of the podcast for details on that. So super excited to have Brad here. Hope you are well. And uh, thank you so much for all of your encouragement, man. It's been a great season. And speaking of books, uh, I have got a book coming out in just a week. That's right. October 6th is the release date for my new book, Lasting Impact, Seven Powerful Conversations That Can Help Your Church Grow. And actually, last week I was in Los Angeles. Hello to everybody who uh, stopped by to say hello on the Orange Tour in Irvine, California. But it was last week in California I held the book in my hand for the first time. And man, that's that's a great feeling. So, so many of you have pre-ordered the book. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Amazon keeps emailing us and saying, send more, send more, send more. So one of the reasons I think it's going so well is we have some bonuses for you. So if you pre-order in the next seven days, like I would just do it today, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a free audio book. For those of you who love audio books, I actually narrate it. So you'll get the free audio book. You're also going to get a free EPUB version. So you'll get it for your Kindle or whatever device you have. And you'll get access to an exclusive webinar with me on how to have meaningful conversations that move your church forward with your team, with your elder board, with your staff, with your volunteers. And if you're one of the first thousand people to order the book, and you might be, you never know, here's what you'll also get. The first thousand get a limited edition Hatch Show print shop poster that's totally frameable. It's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, hopefully that's you. If you get it, you can order it at lastingimpactbook.com and hurry because all those bonuses disappear on October 6th. So uh, you want to make sure you get that in right away. And just thank you for the early feedback from all of you, man. You guys have been amazing. And I wrote the book to help you lead in your church. It's really, I guess it's got some application beyond church, but I really wrote this one for church leaders. And so it's seven powerful conversations. Like, for example, why is our church not growing faster? Or uh, why are young adults walking away from the faith? Or How do I really engage high capacity volunteers or are we really committed to changing this or what? Because, I mean, you can have all kinds of ideas, but if you don't navigate change well, well, that's a problem. So 
I actually uh, divided the book into seven chapters, seven conversations uh, that are designed not just for you to read, but for your team to read together. And at the end of every chapter are questions and then exercises you can do to actually get your church moving in the direction that I hope will help you accomplish your mission. So everything's available at lastingimpactbook.com, and I'd love for you to pre-order your copy today. And in the meantime, hey, I am so excited to have Brad Lominick back. He has been uh, a friend over the last few years, does some incredible humanitarian work with Compassion and other organizations. He is now the president of Blink, his own company, and prior to that was the president and CEO of Catalyst. You know, if you've ever been to Catalyst Conference, it's an amazing organization, Catalyst One Day. Uh, That's Brad, and we're going to talk all about the journey that leaders need to take to really make it in leadership today. And remember, give away at the end 25 copies of his book, details at the end of this podcast. Here's my conversation with Brad Lominick. Well, it had to happen sometime. We got our very first return guest to the podcast. It's Brad Lominick of Blink Consulting, correct, Brad? Yeah, that's, that, that sounds very official, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. Brad Lominick, Inc. <laughs> hey, yeah, Brad. People are like, what does is, what is Blink Consulting mean? It's basically like my BL Inc. with the end on it. There yeah. you go. Well, Brad, I was super excited to have you back because uh, we're going to talk all about leadership today, which you've had some experience in. And you're also releasing a brand new book that we'll talk about at the end. We have a little bonus and a, a surprise, a contest for listeners. Um, and it's called yeah. H3 Leadership. And I was telling you before we started recording, like, this seriously is quickly, I haven't read every word, but I've had a pretty good sample of this book and 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 pocket read chapters. And man, this is very quickly rising to the top of my list of favorite leadership books. And I know it's something I'm going to be handing out to all of our uh you know, interns this year at Conexus Church and and to our staff. It's just, it's fantastic. So congratulations. And uh, we're going to talk all about what it takes to be a leader these days. Well, thank you for saying that. And uh, I'm honored that you would find the book to be helpful and practical. And that's, you know, as we all write books and we all try to help leaders, that's, our, that's always our goal. I mean, anybody who takes the effort and the time and, and puts sweat and tears and blood many times into a book knows that you just hope at some point it helps somebody. And uh, so to hear you say that is really honoring to me. And thanks for, thanks for, uh, thanks for actually reading it. I sent it to you and you actually, you actually like have read it. Oh, you left it for me. We were in a meeting yeah, and, and I got right. back from lunch. I was with Reggie Joyner and there's like copy where I was sitting and a copy where he was sitting. And so I just assumed you left it for me. Maybe I stole it. I don't know. Oh, no, no. I left no, it for you, you guys it. strategically. Yeah, strategically yeah, yeah, on, yeah. On your backpacks. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. So, Brad, catch us up for a decade. Like, just I know not everybody heard that earlier episode, but you were on episode 27, I think. And um, at that time, you were in transition because for a decade, you led the Catalyst Conference. You are yeah. the Catalyst leader. And it became, I think, one of the largest Christian leadership conferences in the world? I don't know. It was just huge. And under your leadership, you step back, catch us up on that journey and what you're up to right now as a leader. Yeah. Well, to catch you truly up to where I am right now, I mean, I'm sitting in a, in a parking lot of a quick trip and <laughs> in Adairsville, Georgia. I'm on my way from Atlanta to Nashville. And I was trying to like time, time my trip to find internet connection to, to do this conversation with you. And I ended up like a quick trip, which for those people who live in Atlanta and the South, 
they know how important Quick Trip is to many of us. Um, mm-hmm. So I couldn't find any other place, but I ended up in a Quick Trip. No so, Chick-fil-A nearby or anything. You, you so know, you're just at QT, well, they call it. Yeah, the quick the, the Chick Fil A was the next exit. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so, it was the next exit. Uh, it's, it, that's true of most places around Atlanta. Is the next exit at least the next exit is Chick Fil A. Is is a Chick Fil A. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great, Brad. So, anyway, like the the point of even telling you that is like my life right now is pretty uh, is pretty busy around travel to lots of different organizations and clients. Mm-hmm. So I went, you know, I went from. I went from leading Catalyst for 10 plus years. And about the last year and a half, I've been spending most of my time and energy on doing consulting work. So I have a, a handful of organizations that I help. And uh, I spend, you know, anywhere two days to some five or six days on site with them, helping them, working through strategy, a lot of conference help, um, a lot of marketing and branding help, and really taking what I learned at Catalyst and and sort of my journey for the last 20 years and trying to add value to their team or to their organization or whatever the project is, I'm connected to them. And then, uh, I'm spending more time, I would say speaking, but not that much, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe one or two days a month and then writing the sixth book has been a big part of my energy and time for the last six months, even, even a year. Yeah. You and I just got back when this airs from, uh, New England where we spoke at the activate conference with Josh Gagnon. So yeah, yeah that's some fun stuff, yeah. but Brad, well, one of the you're, things... actually the, you're the connection to, to Josh. You, you that's connected right, me that's to him right. at orange conference. Yeah. We had a great conversation. And so we hung out backstage was... and, uh, yeah, that's right. Josh was my guest at orange conference and we just spent a lot of time together backstage. That was a lot of fun, Brad. So, you know, one of the things I love about you is, you know, you went through a really rough patch a couple years ago as a leader where sort of you felt like your life was crashing in around you. And you've been very honest. The book talks about that. We talked about that on uh, the last podcast episode you did. But tell us, tell us what happened, like what, because I think all of us start out as a leader. And if you last in leadership, you become a very different leader than you were when you started. It's just life does that to you. God does that to you. Leadership does that to you. You know, I think one of the reasons you and I connect is we both had a, a crash. You know, I crashed about nine years ago in leadership. You're a little more recently, but around the same age, pushing 40 when we both had our our, our, our crashes. And I think a lot of leaders who are, you know, running hard, driven, maybe love God, but, you know, A-type personalities can relate to just getting to that place where things are so thin, you, your world just implodes. And that happened to you a couple of years ago. So talk to us about that in the journey since. Yeah. Well, and, and the, you know, the context for, for sort of my leadership crisis moment was, Nothing that was breaking news. You know, I mean, right. a lot of times... There's no we, scandal. There's no headline. No scandal, no moral failures, um, you know, no no things that were disruptive to the point of of lots of things having to be pulled apart or put back together in many ways. Um, it was just this gradual, slow decline to what I would say was an unhealthy state mm. for my own leadership. And I think I said this last time we had a conversation the first time you had me on was that everything about Catalyst at that point was on the rocket ride of success. I mean, yeah. we were up and to the right. We were we the we were the the, the most successful we'd ever been. You know, hmm. we had more attendees at conferences than we'd ever had. And so organizationally we were we were incredibly successful and healthy and 
um, all the all the measurements were there that would you would go, wow, you guys are killing it. Yeah, keep but going, Brad. Me, keep going. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and but for me, I, I felt like my leadership was stale. Hmm. Um, I felt like here I am leading a, a leadership organization. I'm trying to put on a leadership conference and conferences. I had just written a leadership book, and I'm not a very good leader. And hmm. so it was it was a number of things that converged. Some conversations of my team who all those things came together and it was, it was, you know, the first thing was you got to take a break. Like you're, you're at that point where this could quickly turn into something really bad happening. Yeah. And fortunately for me, like I had some people who stepped in and I had some self-awareness enough to know that it was time to step away and take a break. So I took a few months off and then, um, out of that came back and it was very clear that like, that not because of that, of that crisis did I need to step away from Catalyst, but more, um, more because of a lot of things that had been circling and been, uh, I think, stirring in my heart that mm-hmm. I needed to step away. Um, and people are like, well, so you, did you step away because you were a bad leader? I'm like, no, that, that, that was not the reason I stepped away. I stepped away because it was actually just time to, to pass the reins. Yeah. Uh, and the leadership crisis was more my own personal things that I had to walk through. And the lesson I learned, Carrie, more than anything else is that most of us, if we're really honest, like if we're leaders and we're stewarding something that, that is significant or insignificant, I mean, we're all stewarding something, but most of the time, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're not that many steps away from probably being at a crisis point. Hmm. And a lot of that is because of the pressure. It's because we're type A. It's because there's expectations. It's when you start piling all this stuff on and it's quickly, very quickly, you get to the point where you start to almost step out of your own, own reality. Yeah. And, and you, and you look around and go, wait, like what happened to that guy Mm. or that, or that lady that, that I used to be? Because I really liked that person. But all of a sudden, I'm a jerk. Like, I'm, hmm. I don't even want to be around myself, if I'm really honest. And that was where I got to. Like, 10 years in, all the people who had been with me for a long time on the Catalyst team, they were like, man, I'll still follow you. Like, we're, we're killing it. Like, again, all these success. Yeah. But I really liked that old guy, that old Brad that was a lot of fun to be around and celebrated successes and, and really, like, cared about me. Like, you know, you start digging into those things and you're like, well, I like that guy too. What happened to him? Yeah. And so for me, it was just a, a, in many ways a recalibration to, I think, return to my true self. Yeah. Um, that, that was probably the biggest lesson I learned. And, and, but it wasn't like, again, some major moral failure or major issue that I had to work through. It was uh, that slow, steady decline, which is really paralyzing to a lot of us if, we, if we're really honest about it. Yeah, I think that's the thing that's so surprising to a lot of leaders is, Brad, that we actually become somebody that we weren't expecting to be, right? You just end up being that different leader. Um, Did you know, like, was this something that you picked up? What gave you the clues that, I think in the book you call him, what, Darb? It's Brad backwards, this this leader that (laughs) you were becoming? Right, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so how did you become Darb? How did you become that alter ego that you didn't really like and the people around you didn't like? Like, were you aware of that or were other people pointing it out? Well, I was aware of it. I I think I gave myself a little bit of permission to be that way because the pursuit of the vision 
like the pursuit of all the expectations that were being piled on. Yeah. I felt like were more important than the people that were in the way of that. Hmm. And man, that was like a, again, a kick in the gut when, when you realize like, wait, I'm not that kind of leader. I'm not, I'm not the kind of leader that just leaves people in the ditch. Um, but most, you know, for me anyway, type the type a isms, the ambition, the, you know, the, the, the ability to sort of, um, stick with it to the point where I will persevere beyond all else. You know, I'll make things happen. Um, I will execute, I'll get things done. That felt like to me permission to say, it's okay if there's a few people that are, that are strung out along the ditch that I just left because Mm. we're getting to the finish line. And you know, the, the team, the, the team uh, gave me, well, they, they knew me well enough to, to step up and, and sort of knock on the door, you know, kind of quietly and go, Hey, um, I love you and I'm all for you. And man, again, like, um, I will follow you till we go off the cliff, but I just want you to know that there's some things happening that I see in you that are different than, and they're, I don't think they're healthy. That, that was a big part of it. You know, there was also some people around me that I think had the, they had they were friends enough. They're close enough friends that they could say that as well. Yeah. Um, and, and many times, you know, we, we allow people closest to us to get close to us, but we don't necessarily always take what they say hmm. as the truth because we feel like, well, they, they'll understand, they'll understand that I'm still accomplishing things. You know, they'll, they'll see that there's power in me, um, you know, grinding it out because ultimately at the end of the day that it'll still look like success and that's dangerous. Like, yeah. you know, there's a level of accountability we all want to have as leaders, but you got to be willing as the leader to actually give people permission to not only step in and call you out on something, but actually, actually like change the system that you're in. And, yeah. um, I just looked, I've looked at it and said, man, this system is working because I'm we're, we're having success. Like we're, we're moving the ball forward and you're being rewarded for your dysfunction, right? Yeah. To some extent. Yes, that's exactly right. And it, and it, you know, again, it was, it was, I I feel like it was in between dysfunction and a little, and in between sort of just unhealthiness. Yeah, sure. But it it wasn't to the level of like total major fire drill, you know, where, no, no, if, if you know, and you, you, you know, this wasn't alcoholism or anything, but you might say, and, and I'm saying this because I think a lot of leaders can relate. You would be what, you know, some doctors would call a high functioning alcoholic, not that you struggle with alcohol at all, but it's like, you know, yeah. every day I show up, I do my job. Uh, you know, I'm fine. Like in, in fact, we've never been better, but the reality is there were some things underneath that needed attention. And I get that now, you know, Brad, what's, what's interesting to me is I think a lot of leaders can relate because two things are happening. Number one, you're doing really, really well at your job by many, many metrics. And number two, you're getting older at the same time. Every year, we all get a year older. And you think, well, maybe this is inevitable. Maybe this is just how every leader who is successful becomes. But you challenge that, right? When your friend Steve, I think his name is, really yeah. kind of hit, hit you between the eyes and said, Brad, this is bad. And 
talked you into, you know, had a conversation and you took a sabbatical, you were willing to your credit to look at that. What made you think that, you know, becoming that kind of guy, Darb or whatever, you know, your alter ego, what made you think right. that that wasn't inevitable, that there might be, maybe it was possible to go back and still have success, but be the Brad that you remember fondly? Well, I, I think this, the, you know, the, the conversation you're referring to with Steve Cockrum, Mm -hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's in the book and I'm pretty, I'm very open about that conversation and sort of that, that really sort of launches the book into the whole framework of, of H3 and the habits and all that stuff. But, you know, what, what he did is he gave me permission to be able to step back hmm. and actually to actually, I think, reevaluate, but also to step away from, from the expectation of results. And it's, it's like that prize fighter who, um, who is in the boxing ring and will, they will abs they'll actually like pass out <laughs> before, before they'll bow out. And yes. most of us as leaders, because we're so driven, we will actually pass out before we bow out and <laughs> we will go so hard that somebody has to literally like almost, you know, punch us in the face to get us back to a, a place of rest or, or perspective or whatever. And for me, that was that conversation with Steve where he was like, Hey, listen, man, you're done. Like mm. you, you, you are, you are at that point of, of being frizzled and you don't realize it though, but I, I can see it in you and him, him stepping in and doing that for me. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but I would think Carrie that if that wouldn't have happened and that was, that was God's hand in my life and it was a lot of things showing up, but I might've just kind of driven off the cliff. Yeah. And, you know, and again, not because I was saying my goal is to drive off the cliff, but we just will do things as leaders that we don't even realize we're doing to the point where we will actually destruct ourselves. Yes. Um, and, you know, that's, again, a dangerous place to be. We don't even realize it. We have to have people around us who will who will say to us, hey, not only are you done, but I'm going to put a, something in place here that makes sure that you <laughs> that you protect yourself from yourself. Yep. You know, and, and, and to your credit, I mean, you were open enough to listen to Steve. This wasn't like a year long dialogue where he was in your face every Tuesday. It was like, he came to you and in a very short window of time, you said, maybe God is in this and maybe I need to listen, which is, which is to your yeah. credit. And I, th I think there's a lot of leaders, you know, you're a single guy, I'm a married guy. My wife, was telling me probably for two or three years, you need to get help. You need to get help. You need to go see a counselor before I went. And I should have just had the humility to listen. But again, when everything's up and to the right and you're successful and you're applauded for everything you do, you kind of get this air about you that you think, well, I'm invincible, but you're not. Right. But you're not. Yeah. And, and, and the, as you know, this is true. There's a big difference between preventative leadership medicine and prescriptive leadership medicine. Yes. Let's and, talk and, about that. Go there. Well, preventative is, is, is the conversation of, Hey, you're done. Mm -hmm. Like I can see it. So we're going to, we're going to put some things in place here that, that will make sure you don't go off the cliff. Prescriptive medicine, leadership medicine is you just went off the cliff. Now we've got to get you back to a place where you're healthy. And, yeah. you know, so I did, fortunately, I, I didn't have to deal with a lot of prescriptive leadership medicine. I had some preventive leadership medicine in my life that allowed me to, um, you know, pretty quickly get back 
on the right track. But, but you know, un- unfortunately, a lot of the lessons we learn in leadership are prescriptive. Yeah. Because we, we, we failed miserably and all of a sudden now it's got to be like, well, you got to have this, you got to have this box of pills, you know, you got to have this prescription, um, whatever that looks like, whether it's a new level of accountability, whether it's, you know, systems in your life, whether it's your spouse going, Hey, like we're done. I mean, you know, that's the place we don't want to get to. And mm-hmm. preventative medicine will allow us to, to see things happening before they really do happen. No, I think that's a really good distinction. And I think prescriptive medicine is hard for a lot of leaders. Why is it why is it so tough, Brad? Why is it so hard for A-type driven people to actually sit down and look at the cracks and go, uh-oh, there might be a problem? Well, I mean, you, you know, we hit on it earlier. Like we, we none of us want to none of us want to acknowledge that there's some things we can't do hmm. or there's some things we're not good at because we, whether we like it or not, the very essence of why we probably got to where we are is because we were willing to fight and scratch and claw and hustle our way and grind our way to the top. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Like inherently that is a really good thing. I mean, that's why one of the three H's for me is hustle because mm-hmm. I believe that you, you have to be willing to work your guts out and, and, keep leaning in and have a posture that says, I'm going to make it happen. But most of us, we, we start to lose our lack of reality the, the more we steward, you know, and we get yeah. so disconnected from, from the norm, the, the more people that are around us, the more things we have that we're responsible for, the higher we go up the ladder of influence, the, the further the fall is. And, you know, we start putting in those benchmarks and those, those rungs that, that we think are protecting us from the fall. And actually they're, they're preventing what I would say are healthy, um, slips. And I don't mean like yeah. you're morally failing, but I mean, right, there's right. some healthy, there's some healthy slips that need to happen to you. You need to be failing as a leader quite often. Hmm. And, you know, you gotta have some, some, you gotta have some moments where, where you're not being deprived of reality deprivation or <laughs> not being deprived of reality. And that reality deprivation sets in a lot. And all of a sudden we don't have any, you know, every swing we take is a home run. That's and right. That's, I that's, don't do singles. I don't do oh, doubles. Yeah, I no, just, I swing every, for the fences every time. And I don't strike out either, by the way. Right. And, you yeah. know, at, at some point, we just all look around and go, well, man, I'm the man or I'm the woman. And that's just not true. Mm. And so, you know, without those strikeouts, we start to think, well, we really are batting a thousand. And, you know, so none of us, none of us carries, none of us as leaders set we don't, we don't sit down at the beginning of our journey and go, man, if I can only get to the place where I'm really vulnerable for something major crisis to happen in my life, then that's a good, that's a good place. None of us do that, you know, but yeah. just the slow derailment. It's like the guy who, you know, you get, you get in your boat and, and you set a course for, for that destination. And if you're just a little bit, maybe one degree off mm-hmm. at the beginning, right? I mean, that doesn't make a difference. You don't even notice it. And then 10 years later, you are severely off course. Yeah. But you you're never in another hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You never realized it because you looked at it and thought, hey, we're still moving in the right direction. You know, the wind hadn't blown us over yet. And you just don't even, you don't even expect it. And then you get a few years down the road and go, I'm not that person or I'm not in that place where I thought I would be. 
Yeah. Now you see a lot of leaders. I mean, you've, and, and you and I both know some very humble grounded leaders who are at the top of their game, but like, do you, do you just think that this struggle that we've been talking about so far in the podcast is just endemic to leadership? Do you think that this is something that most leaders at some point will be forced to struggle with or end up struggling with? Yes, I do. Especially if you're, if you're dealing with something in terms of what you're stewarding, yeah, that, that is, is it's not about size. It's about the importance and the impact. Yeah. Um, and especially in the, in the Christian community as followers of Jesus, like hmm. as Christians, there's this whole other element, which is the, you know, the, the parts of, of the, of the cosmos that we don't even, we don't even understand what's happening. You know, the, yeah. The, the battle of eternal and, and all these, you know, whether it's the devil or Satan or evil, that all these forces that are happening that we, we can't control. Um, and I don't want to get into a theological conversation on that, but you know, when you pile that on top of, yeah. of somebody who's stewarding a lot, um, there is a huge amount of responsibility and there's a huge amount of opportunity for things to go wrong and for things yeah. to fail. And, you know, when you're given sort of all those, uh, you know, that as a reality, you think, wow, like this could happen pretty quickly that, that, that things go in the wrong direction. And, you know, combining that with our own demise potential, because we're, we're at the end of the day, we don't necessarily start with a humble posture as leaders because we're driven towards ambition and success. Then you combine all that and you're like, wow, okay, well. I, I do have a lot of things to deal with here as a leader. And, you know, when you're stewarding something small, I, I think this is why the scriptures are so clear. And there's just this constant sense of, hey, you know what, Brad, if you're faithful with little, I'll give you a little more. If you're faithful with little, I'll give you a little more. If you're faithful with little, I'll give you a little more. And that, that steady handoff of responsibility, I think over time is actually a good way to sort of see your leadership journey. Yes. Um, this is why I'm concerned, Carrie, like about, I love young leaders and so do you, but mm-hmm. the 24 year old, the 24 year old that all of a sudden steps into huge influence and responsibility, yeah. I'm really concerned for them. Not because they can't do it, mm-hmm. but they didn't have that stair step. They didn't have the, the, you know, the 10 years of, of, of up, up and then back down a little bit and then up and then back down a little bit and then up and then back down a little bit. <laughs> That's character you know? forging. It is. It is character forging. And without that, I think we're seeing a lot of leaders who who are really having a hard time because they look around and go, well, now I've got something significant and I better act like I got it together because people are looking at me and, and wanting answers and expecting me to, to be that great leader. And I would argue if you're a 24-year-old in that situation, is to, to look around and go, guys, you know what? I'm 24. Yeah. And I got to surround myself with some people who are older and wiser than me. And I know that I don't know anything and yeah. I'm okay with that. And I'm and for scared. For some reason I have, yeah, some reason I have the, I have my, my hands on the, on the, on the wheel right now, but you know, I got to have other people. Otherwise we're going to, we're going to crash into the cliffs hmm. and be okay with saying that, you yeah. know, be okay with, I'm no, nobody expects any different from you. 
I'm really glad you raised the the spiritual component as well. And I think we we tend to swing toward two pendulums. Either it's all spiritual and I have no responsibility. The devil made me do it. Or, right. you know, ah, that stuff isn't really real. Well, you know, I believe in a personal force of, of good, <laughs> Christ. I also should probably take seriously a personal force of evil. And I think in ministry, it's ministry that really opened my eyes to the fact that, wow, these supernatural forces probably play some kind of role and they do make it harder for spiritual leaders. And and I think the key is to avoid either side of the pendulum where it's like, well, I have no responsibility. You know, I'm, it's out of my control. No, no, no. You have some control. You have some responsibility. Um, but there are interfering factors as well. And I, I think, I think that could be great. And I agree with you. I think this is endemic to leadership. I think, I think it's almost an epidemic in the church and I love the stair step analogy. And I love the idea that God can correct you. And, you know, our stories are a bit parallel in the sense that there was no moral failure on my part around my crash or anything, you know, nothing worthy of headlines. It was just, you know, a leader kind of imploding under his own weight. And, uh, and, and God graciously saying, okay, well, let's look at that and let's put you back together again. So, you know, and we've talked to Perry Noble too about that on this podcast. Yeah. And, and I, I've heard this said before, I don't know who quoted this and I'm paraphrasing, but you know, the, the idea that I'll trust a leader who's, who has some scars, mm-hmm. I, I would actually rather follow somebody who's had some, some, some failures I don't want to follow that person who has had this rosy life of every, you know, you're, you're going from, from success to success. And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, yeah. you know, from, from strength to strength is, is scriptural. Right. Um, but I want to see, I want to make sure that somebody has had some down points mm-hmm. because your down points are those are, are just as important to define you as your up points. Oh, I learned so much more from the pain than I do from the success. There's no question right. about that, right? Yeah, and and yeah. but again, most of us as leaders, we think, well, you know, if I'm in an interview, am I going to really talk about the things I struggle with and yeah. be vulnerable and talk about the mistakes I've made and talk about the the things I'm not great at? And you know, uh, yes, actually, mm-hmm. I would appreciate if you would if you would talk about that because that's how I'm going to know that you know who you are, truly. You're, you're self-aware enough to, to see the things that you don't do well, and you've learned from them, and now you're moving on. So, I agree. And I think people admire your strengths, but they resonate with your weaknesses. It's your, re- you know, your weaknesses are kind of like, yeah, okay, you're just like me. I get that. So, you know, Brad, what you did took a lot of courage because you took a season off, a few months off, um, but then you decided not to go back to your previous role. It would have been really easy to go back and be energized and, you know, the new Brad or the old Brad or whatever, but you didn't. And I think one of the reasons a lot of leaders get scared about actually looking inside, looking in the mirror, sitting down with a Christian counselor, which you've done and I've done and so on, is you walk away into the unknown, which is exactly what you did. I mean, what you're doing today didn't exist 16 months ago, 18 months ago. How scary was that just to say, okay, this is serious enough that I'm going to change what I do? Well, I would, I would say it's less scary for me because, because I'm uh, in a stage of life where I don't have a family. Right. I, I think, I think I would be naive to say that, you know, that, well, it was, you know, it was so hard because I'm, you know, I have the, 
the responsibility of kids and a, and a spouse. Like I, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that reality. I think the scariest for me was identity. And mm-hmm. that was the, that was the piece that was that, you know, when you really start to dig down to the, and you peel back the onion and you peel it back again and you really get to the core that, that question of, does anybody really want to still hang out with me if I'm not the catalyst guy? Like yeah. if I'm not, if I'm not the guy in charge of catalyst, are people going to want to talk to me on the phone and, you know, will they want to go on trips with me and will they want to be my friend? And, and that's, that's, that was probably the part for me that was, that, you know, kept me up at night the most and woke me up early in the morning, the, the earliest. Right. Um, but you know, the, 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 the part that really helped me with that is, and I think I may have even talked about this on the last podcast is, you know, there was a point during my sabbatical towards the end of it, when I was actually hanging out with Steve Cockrum, who mm. has really been influential. And again, has you know, started the conversation with me. Uh, he, he said, okay, today, Brad, we're killing Catalyst Brad. <laughs> like we're, we're putting a knife in that dude. And it was like, wait, no, I like Callis Brad. I, I like that guy. He's, <laughs> my whole identity, yeah, but my yeah, life. I got yeah. a decade. You should see. You right, should see yeah. his uh, contacts list on his phone. Holy cow! Right. I mean, Callis Brad knows everybody, and he's like well connected, and you know, people want to take his call, and like, no, we're killing that. We're killing Callis Brad. He's dead. And we had we had this ceremony, like we killed <laughs> Callis Brad. And I tell you what, the, it it sounds kind of corny, and it sounds like what. What does that mean? But that sense of, of burying that season for me was really important. Mm. And, and part of it was because now I can, I can talk about it. I can joke about it. Um, I can walk back into the catalyst offices and feel incredibly free of any sabotage mentality or, or any sense of, wait, like I need to get some mojo back here because yeah. You guys know at one point I was the man here, right? Like, you know, I was the guy that built this thing. Like all that creeps in, Carrie, when, cause a lot of people can step away from something because they're forced to or whatever. Right. And then, and then all of a sudden two months, four months, six months, a year later, they want it back. Which also takes an incredible humility, which kind of brings us to the three H's you write about in H3 leadership. So just, you know, you talk about humble, hungry, hustle. Um, yeah. Humility. That's a big one. You know, we all know it's important, but what do you mean? Like every leader needs to be humble, needs to be hungry, uh, stay hungry rather, and, and always hustle. So why is humility? I mean, I think a lot of us have read Jim Collins and everything, but just remind us why humility is so, so critical. And I think your whole journey, you know, models that at this point. It's like, yeah, I'm going to look in the mirror. Yep. Steve, you're right. Yep. We're going to kill Catalyst Brad. Yep. I'm going to embark on this bold new future. Well, you know, if you, if you take a survey of, of people and ask them, what do you hope for in a leader that you want to follow? Yeah. Humility is always going to be at the top of that list. It may be at, you know, not just in the top three, but it may be the top one. And I think humility is, is this really simple perspective that says it's not about me. It's, it's not yeah. about me. It's, it, you know, I'm, I'm willing to lower myself to elevate others. And, you know, that's, it seems really easy on paper to live that out. And especially right. as followers of Jesus, like, you know, we're, we're, we're following a savior in Jesus who is the ultimate expression of humility. But I, I don't, at the end of the day, I, I have a hard time finding a lot of really at the core humble leaders. Hmm. Uh, and, 
you know, it doesn't. And there's sometimes I'll find a leader who, who looks like it on paper and, you know, they outwardly, they, they try to portray humility, but inwardly they're really at the end of the day, they're all about themselves. And yeah. I, I just think this is, this is way harder than it seems. And so part of the, part of the reason I started with, with the idea of humble is, um, one, it's foundational yeah. and it needs to be that first H that's in everybody's life. But, but two, so much of your humility goes back to some basics of the way you see yourself. Hmm. And it's, it's that sense of, of, of knowing yourself, being self-aware. It's, it's the idea of being authentic and vulnerable. It's, it's understanding your calling. Like, man, if we get our calling right and our assignment right in terms of what season of calling we're in, then humility flows out of that because we're so dialed into who we are and it gives us pure freedom to sort of make it about others. And right. you know, I, I just, I feel like that again, you know, humility sounds good on paper. It's, Oh yeah. Humble. Like everybody, Brad, like every, every leader should be humble. Yeah. I'm humble. Let me tell you about it. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's not as easy, I think, as we think it is. And again, if we're really honest with ourselves, most of us are not necessarily wired or even living humility out right now. Well, the A type, the the A type personality fights against that, right? The drivenness, no the the ego, the drive, and all of that. So, what are some of the characteristics of a humble leader in your view? Like when you say that, you go, you know what? This 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 is humility in its best sense. Yeah. Well, I think I definitely think an awareness of of who you are is where it starts with, like self discovery. Um, that's the habit that I really started with in the book is is self-awareness. Hmm. Um, and you know, the, the, uh, the idea of openness and, and vulnerability and authenticity, being honest, being transparent, those are all parts of, of humility. I mentioned the, you know, the issue of calling and just really understanding why you're here. Well, you know, what is, what is my assignment? What am I supposed to be doing? But also why have I been wired the way I've been wired? You know, I also, I also think a proper perspective of, of just seeing your place in the story. Hmm. And you, you got to, as a, as a humble leader, I mean, at least the, the humble leaders that I know that I really, I see their humility and I go, man, I, I admire that. It's because they're content with where they are in the story. Hmm. And, and some of them are not the leading role. Right. They're okay with that. And, and some of them are the leading role and they, they realize that that's where they're supposed to be. But right. they're, they're incredibly confident, you know, this quiet confidence in, in that particular place where they're supposed to be. And I can guarantee you this, if, if the ones, you know, again, we, we all think, well, I can be humble if I'm not stewarding and caring a lot. <laughs> um, that's, that's actually probably more true than not, but you'll start to see that, that lack of humility show up in the, in the small things early on in your life. And, you know, this is one of those traits and one of those things as leaders that we've got to, we got to live out way before we need it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we've got to, we got to prove humility when, when we're not carrying a whole lot that we would ultimately be proud of. Yeah, or that's that we would fair. Want to show everybody. Well, I, I, I think that's very true. It's a habit and a posture. And I love what you said about, you know, your role in the story, because even if you're leading something massive, if you're the leader of, you know, one of the largest churches in your city or, you know, the largest organization you know of in, you know, your graduating class or whatever, however you compare, reality is, you know, 
there's a much bigger story going on than just your church or your organization, right? right. At the end of Absolutely. the day, you're just you're playing a role in a much bigger story that God is writing and you get to play the role. And if you don't play the role well, he'll find someone else to play the role. He's perfectly capable of that. Yeah. We're, we're one, we're one second away or one moment away or one other leader away from being out of the story. And when you carry a posture like that of man, this story didn't start with me. It's not going to end end with me. me. Mm -mm. And it's not about me. It actually takes a lot of the pressure off. Yeah, it does. It really does. It's very liberating because you're like, you know, I got a role to play and my role is to be diligent and to be an excellent steward of this. But God, if you want to take it out of my hands, you can take it out of my hands. Go ahead. Yeah. And that, that's again where this, you know, the three-legged stool of, of humble, hungry, and hustle have to work together. Yeah. Because I know a lot of leaders who hustle and have no humility. Right. And they're the, you know, they're the ones who run over you. I know a lot of leaders who are humble, but have no hustle. And they're the ones that I really, I like, I like them, but I would never follow them because they don't get anything done. That's a good point. That's a good point. There's lots of humility, but without hunger and hustle, like hungry and hustle. Yeah. God, God needs you to do something. Yes, exactly. And that's why people, you know, I've, I've had a few folks say, Brad, hustle, Come on, like humble and hungry, I get that. But hustle, what would you put hustle in this title with for? I'm like, man, listen, we the, they got to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know a lot of people who who are really willing to learn, and they read a lot of books, and they really understand it's not about them, but they they they're not doing anything. And so these these three have to work together. Otherwise, you know, you can you can sort of see one at the at the detriment of another one. So take us to hungry. What does it mean to be a hungry leader? And I know a lot of young leaders who are really hungry. I mean, is that something you just kind of lose as you you get older or how do you, what do you mean by hungry and how do you stay hungry or get hungry? Yeah, well, I, I think the, the the simplest way to think about hungry is is um your posture of con- consistent and ongoing learning. Mm-hmm. And just that just that idea that I've never arrived. So humility is, is it's not about me and hungry is the posture that says I'm not there yet. Right. Um, so all I, you I, podcast listeners, Hey, kudos, man, you're hungry. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's if, great. If, if you're, if you're hungry for consuming more content and learning, you know, I, I, I like to, I like to think of a picture of a hungry leader as somebody, it's somebody who has arrived. They are the cat's meow. I mean, they are the man or they are the woman. They're at the top of the food chain. They, ha- they, they, they control and dominate their industry. They are the senior pastor of the largest church in the world. And they're walking into a, to a meeting with moleskin in hand, with pen out, and here we go. I'm taking notes. Yeah, yeah. And I don't have to. Like, I've arrived. I, I can coast the rest of the way. I've learned it all. You know, John Wooden said this— this is such a great phrase. You know, it's what you learn after you know it all that really counts. Hmm. And I just think that's so true. Like the, the posture of a hungry leader is one that says, regardless of where I am in the process, I will always be willing to learn more. And I'll always be willing to, to be teachable. And I'll always be willing to have a spirit that says, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet. So that, that's what I mean by being, hum- or being hungry. 
I think uh, one of the points you make in the book is, is isn't curiosity one of the virtues or, or, yeah. uh, uh, and yeah. you know, it's funny, Brad, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but when I run into leaders in their seventies or eighties, I mean, these are, these are, you know, you either meet really cynical know-it-alls or people who have given up. It's like, I haven't learned anything in 25, 30 years, but you should see my golf game. Or, you know, you, 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 you run into people, and this is kind of, you know, what I have on target if I ever reach that age, who are still curious. You know, the uh, university professor with the tweed jacket who sits upright in his chair with his spectacles and says, well, I was reading some recent literature and there's some new theories about da da da. And I'm like, dude, you're 82 years old. And yeah, like, good like, for you, man. But they're yeah. curious, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I want to be that guy. And And so... Is curiosity just one of those habits that really keeps you hungry? No question. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And and the key to curiosity, Carrie, is is not just a posture that says I'm 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 interested in learning new things, but it's also a posture that says I'm willing to listen, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm willing to ask really good questions. Um, I, I listen to Tim Ferriss's podcast a lot, and he he interviewed um, Brian Grazer. Yeah, you and the, me too, both. Yeah, I should so, say. Uh, Brian Grazer is, you know, he's he he did. Um, oh gosh, what was the? He owns half Hollywood, doesn't he? Yeah, he he partners mm-hmm. with with uh, with Andy. What's his name? To with do, uh, with Ron Howard. Ron Howard. Sorry, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Andy Griffith. And yeah. they are no, but what? And then that goes back. No, it all it's all connected. But what's the name? Is it Imagine Entertainment? Is their company? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. So Grazer was like Tim Ferriss was interviewing him, and he said. He said, how have you got a head in, in Hollywood? He said, I asked really good questions. Mm. And Varys is like, what? Like, that's it? Like, that's the way you get ahead. And he said, well, I'm naturally curious. I have an insatiable appetite for learning new stuff. But he said, here's the difference. When I'm sitting down with Denzel Washington, and I'm interested in Denzel Washington's world, and I know a lot about Denzel, and I'm asking him, I'm peppering him with questions constantly, and I'm really, really intrigued by his world. You think when I'm up against another studio that wants to have him in a film that I won't win in that, in that contest, I'll win every single time. He said, so the reality of my curiosity is that it's actually helped me get ahead in life because when you ask people questions, what you're doing is you're saying you're valuable. You're valuable to me. What you have to offer me is, is, is worth something. I actually want to learn from you. So this is, I mean, I say this to young leaders all the time, Carrie. Yeah. That, that have no clue about anything, all right? Some 21-year-old intern walking in to meet the president hmm. of the United States or whatever the situation is. But you know the best way to show that you are able to play at the same level? What's ask that? a really Ask a really good question. Hmm. And we all, but here's, we all think that we have to answer some you know, we have to have some amazing answer to give to this person who is way more influential and more powerful and older and more authoritative. No, like the best way for you to raise your level of power and influence to the same level as the person you're talking to is be curious and just ask them great questions. Yeah. That will get you so far beyond even your, your level of competency. Um, so that, that it, it will, you know, two two things. Um, number one, I've I've talked about Tim Ferriss on this show before, and we'll link Tim in the show notes. Just a warning: his yeah. language is not <laughs> always the same as yours or mine, Brad. Yeah, no, but that's true. I think he's one of the best questioners out there. 
I mean, he is just fascinating to listen to. He does like one, two hour podcasts and uh, he is just a great questioner. So if you want to sharpen your questioning skills, listen to Tim Ferriss. And secondly, I don't know whether you've had this experience, Brad, but I often get asked, you know, you know, hey, can we have lunch or can can I pick your brain or whatever? And I can't do it all the time, but I'll do it once in a while. And sometimes I'm shocked because I'll get together with someone, you know, I've set aside an hour and like there's no questions. And I'm kind of right. like, okay, like, did you think we were just going to hang out and be friends? Like, right. like, and I, I'm, I don't begrudge it, but like, come on, hit me up or, you know, and then I ask them questions. I've spent some of those hours just asking them questions, but it's like, I kind of thought this would be reciprocal. <laughs> did, did you run into that? Yeah, all the time. And, the, yeah. and, the, and again, the guys that I really admire, especially older leaders, I mean, I, I've seen John Maxwell do this so many times at a conference. Yeah. You know, I mean, John kind of arrived. Like, John is the man. When, yeah, John, when it comes John's, to, John's done okay. He's done okay. Like, he's written quite a few books, and he's spoken <laughs> at pretty much every conference known to man. In the world. But Yeah. But when, you know, when I see John sitting in the front row, or I see John in the green room, or I see John side stage, and he's got his, he's got his moleskin out or his yellow pad with his four-colored uh, pen system, you know, and he's taking notes. Yeah. Like, okay, Brad, you're a knucklehead. When it, as, as compared to John Maxwell, you are a complete knucklehead. So <laughs> if he's doing it at his level and his stage of life and his wisdom, then you better, you better buckle up and get your moleskin out. Which um, is maybe so, why he's at that stage. Absolutely. Right? And that's why he stays at that stage. And that's mm-hmm. why he got there uh, in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very true. And and you're right. You know, I appreciate what you're saying because if I'm like, hey, I want to talk to this guy again, often on a first meeting, it's the quality of the questions. Yes, absolutely. Man, mm-hmm. that is such a good point. And for all those listening, you, you want to gain influence with somebody, then raise your level of question asking. Yep. Yeah. Uh, can I can I ask you, how do you do that? How do you formulate great questions? You know, I I think the most important thing is to is to uh, be prepared. Hmm. You know, you can sort of go in with with your standards, but I would say do some research. Right. You know, the the conversations that I will start to lean in pretty heavily on with somebody I don't know is when they actually know me, right? Uh, and they say, "Hey, Brad, like, man, I love your I love your stuff. I've read your blog, man. I I, I read the Cattle Cedar in Chapter Five. You." man, you really said something that was, was, was that connected with me. Can I ask you a question about that point? Right. I'm in like, I mean, I, I may have never met you, but you've got my attention now. Mm-hmm. So uh, and, specific and researched. Yes. Specific and research, but yeah. also, but also that level that you're, um, you're asking something that, you know, you, you know, the questions that are, that are brown nose questions, right? Right. I mean, Give us those, an example. Those, Give us an example. Well, like if somebody came to me, you know, if I'm having a conversation with somebody and they say, they say, well, Brad, like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll never get to your level. I mean, you know, you've, you're such the man and, um, you know, you're, you've, you've really, you've really got to a place where, uh, everybody wants to be around you. And by the way, like, um, you know, I'd love to get a, you know, this is another conversation, but I'd love to get you to write an endorsement for my book. <laughs> Wait, is the this, kiss is up this, with a purpose. Yeah. yeah. Is, this you, is this you pitching me on your book or are you asking me a question? Um, right. 
And, you know, you can just, you can sniff the brown nosers out from a mile away. Cause yeah. at the end of the day, like their question typically will center on, on something that will help them. Yeah. And, you know, it, it probably will make you have to make a decision on whether you want to help them or not. Right. Um, right. You know, so I, I just, I think people who are really good question askers though are, they're really intentional and they really listen. Like that's the other thing is so many times we ask a question and we're curious at our core, but we're, we, we all, we are so ready to fire back with our response because we feel like it's got to be our goal to, to show how smart we are. Right. And you've already established that you're smart because you ask a good question. Just listen. And, and if, if there's something you need to say, great. But you know, we, we do this a lot in, in especially blog world, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we don't, we don't ever ask, ask questions. We only give answers. Um, but, and I think a lot of times, uh, you're as a, as a curious person, let the conversation play out and let that answer continue to sort of evolve itself. And, and you'll watch even more, um, even more value come out of that conversation or, or whatever hap- is happening at that point. So that's tough so, for a leader, you know, go ahead. Oh Brad. gosh, No, it is like it. Right. I mean, cause we think we've got the answer cause we're leaders and right. we probably do. We, we probably do have the answer. So I, I, if you, if you all, if you always will remember, Carrie, I think this is, you know, for me really, I, when I was young, I always tried to do this, especially asking questions is everything I'm doing in terms of question asking is not only giving value to the person I'm asking, hmm. but it's, it's also making sure that I'm allowing them to win in the conversation. And yes. I don't mean like it's, it's a competition, but I just want them to win. I, I want them to walk away from our conversation and go, wow, like, I don't know who that kid was, but I want to hang out with him more. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Most, Say to your assistant, time, who is that person? Can you find out? Yeah. You got it. Absolutely. Yeah. And most of the times in my world anyway, in my life and my experience, I didn't say anything in those conversations. Yeah. I, di- I didn't give any answers. I didn't have to like come up with, you know, my five points on great leadership. I, all I did was ask good questions. Yep. No, I think that's so good, you know, and even even this podcast has taught me an awful lot. You know, there, there was a lot of debate about format. Would it be me speaking? And I thought, I already speak. I, I have a blog, you know, and and I have these great conversations like you and I've had at, at different points backstage and I always walk away thinking, gosh, I wish, you know, people could have heard it. And now, you know, for just over a year, people can hear it, which is awesome. But I remember in the first few episodes, uh, my wife and I were listening back and I was, I was trying to get feedback from her and she said, you're talking too much. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what do you mean? And, and she goes, you just, you're trying to say too much. And I mean, when you're the leader, with, when you're the guy with a microphone and I'm used to being the guy with a microphone, you know, I could answer half the questions. And so I've right. made it a rule. I try not to talk more than 10 to 15% of the interview and let the guest have 85 to 90% of the airtime. Man, I learn a lot, and you better yeah. be good with your questions. So, yeah, well, everybody who wants to, you know, Charlie Rose for me is one of those guys that I, I watch a lot, and I, I try to emulate some of the things he does as an interviewer. Mm-hmm. And if you watch Charlie Rose a lot, you'll notice that that he lets the conversation play. And there's a lot of times in his interviews on PBS that you'll think it's getting awkward. Like, what what's happening here? And he's like, nope, let the conversation play let it play out, you know, and th- sometimes his best answers from his guests are the ones that, that 
he's giving room for that curiosity to, to play itself out. Um, you know, so as leaders, again, like you said, we typically tend to want to step in and, uh, sometimes just let it, let it ride, you know, let the awkwardness even pursue, uh, peruse a little bit and see what happens. Yeah. I'm good at awkward. I can do that very, very well, Brad. <laughs> so <laughs> you know. uh, you're, no, it's, you're Canadian. That's that's that's, that's what, right. That's yeah, right. We'll just leave it at that. We won't say you're awkward. You're just you're just Canadian. No, but I'm glad I'm glad you pointed that out because you know I'm I'm enough of a conversationalist and I have some extrovert memory in me. Uh, I used to be an extrovert where I don't want that awkward silence to right. develop. But often the best stuff comes later. And if you're not trying to show what you know, uh, you let your guests shine. I think that's really good. So hunger, hunger. Which, yeah, which and, and, ironically, hey, go ahead, yeah. Well, just last thing on that, um, if, if just a little side note and an extra tip. Yeah. Negotiating power, like if you want negotiating power, um, and, you know, this is true for people who are in sales, it's true if you're trying to recruit volunteers, it's, it's true if you're trying to get somebody to, you know, to want to share your vision. In a conversation, if you're quiet, you just, you just increase your negotiation power. Hmm. And we think that we have to talk in order to gain power and, and you know, the, to win the conversation. Just the opposite. Hmm. When you're quiet in a conversation, the other person typically will get really nervous, especially in a negotiation conversation. It's like, well, that price doesn't really work for me. And then just be quiet. And they'll start talking and they'll usually people will just talk their way into your price. <laughs> that is a quiet. bonus tip. That's awesome. It is. Like I, I've used that many times with, with uh, lots of vendors and, and different people and organizations over the years. And I didn't have to say anything. I just, I was quiet and it got awkward and they said, well, I guess we can, uh, yeah, we could probably meet you there. <laughs> That's <laughs> brilliant. That's really good, Brad. And you know, it's surprising how this is even tied into humility, isn't it? You know, the whole <laughs> right. hunger thing. It's not about, I know everything. It's like, I'm just listening and I got my notebook open that's great. So the third H is hustle. And I love how you tie them together too, because this is the drive, right? This is the ambition. You even got a section in the book on, on ambition. And like, is ambition a bad thing, Brad? I think it has a bad rap sometimes in Christian circles. Talk about that. Yeah, I, I, I think it can be bad. Um, and mm -hmm. I think it, 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 it's like, you know, other things that I believe are, are really morally neutral, um, I, I don't, I don't, I, you know, if you watch ambition in people, um, gone, ambition gone wrong is a drug dealer. Hmm. You know, it's a, it's a gang leader. It, it's, it's, um, it's somebody who is, who is, uh, you know, compressing or repressing a people group. Yeah. Um, but ambition gone, gone great is when you see, I think the church, growing when you see an organization that uh starts to you know have more impact when you when you watch mother Teresa and her her legacy when you see you know the great leaders around us like mandela i mean those are those are stories and and examples of ambition gone to the right side so i i think ambition at its core um really does have the ability to go either bad or good and it's yeah. really drive. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, ambition and the, the idea of hustle is that sense of, of we're going to make it happen. Right. And, and leaders have to have that posture, uh, primarily because 
you're the one out in front. Mm-hmm. And when you're the, when you're the person in front, that requires that you're willing to, especially today, Carrie, like this is, yeah. this is part of the reason that it's just so important in, in today's economy of leadership is no longer are people willing to follow you only because you're in front or that you're, you know, the president or you're in charge or you have the corner office. They're yeah. willing to follow you because you're willing to get in the ditch with them. It's a moral authority to lead, not a, a, a positional authority to lead, right? That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so if you're not in the ditch with somebody, if you're not next to them with your, with your fingernails dirty, digging in the dirt, in the trenches, beside your team, as well as in front, um, you've got to prove that you're willing to hustle with them. And, you know, this is, this has not always been true. Like this has not always been true in organizations. It's not always been true in the church world, nonprofit world, business world, but today more than ever it is. And yeah. you've, you've got to live this out. You've got to be willing to work hard. You've got to be willing to get it done. And especially around execution, I think execution for me anyway, is probably, it probably rises to the top of the habits that go under the idea of hustle. Right. Just sense of, man, I'm, I'm willing to, move the ball to the finish line and across the finish line and into the end zone. Um, and you know, we've got a lot of authors who write about this and it's become sort of vogue to talk about, get it done and DIY and, you know, do it yourself. But it's true. Like if you're not willing to make sure that things are getting to completion, um, we, we, we have to have that today. Otherwise you're just, you're walking around with a good idea. Now, I think a lot of leaders would say, hey, man, I'm like, Brad, I hear you, but I'm a 30,000 foot big picture leader. I don't really do execution. I mean, what do you, what do you say to that? Or I get, I get bored in the details. What do you say to leaders who feel that way? Well, I say to a lot of them, then you need to make sure you're in the right kind of organization. Hmm. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> if, if not, you're going to fail. Right. Uh, if not, you're going to have a hard time. And you know, this, if, if you're in a, if you work for some massive company that has 25,000 employees or 50,000 or a hundred thousand, you could probably get away with that. Yeah. Um, and you'll never sort of be found out. Like you'll always have your place as the visionary idea person. You know, you're the, you're the pie in the sky. I don't have to really execute on anything, but I can promise you this. If you're a church planner, if you're a startup, if you're an entrepreneur at your core, if you're a, a tech startup, uh, you know, CEO, you better learn how to execute. Yeah. Cause otherwise your, your idea that was so great on paper will never go anywhere. And yep. you know, you, you have to be able to create the vision as well as execute on the vision when you're in that kind of, of, of place. And the reality today is that a lot more of us as leaders are in that place. Mm-hmm. A lot more of us show up to a, a job or an assignment our vocation. And that's our norm. Like our norm is if we don't, if we're not part of executing as the point person or the key leader, then it ain't going to happen. Right. And, and I'm, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that your job is to micromanage and, and, and execute at every level, regardless of how big you get. That's, yep. that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that your job is to create a culture that, that, cr- that says we get things done. Like we move things to the finish line and our, our measurement of success is that we ship. It's what Seth Godin says. Like we're, we're yeah. shipping. We're, we're getting yeah. it out the door. We're I'm not, a writer who publishes. I'm you a preacher it. who actually got up on a Sunday morning and delivered, even if I thought another week could have made it better. You got it. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, and that's, that's all part of, 
of this idea of hustle. And um, I, I just, I, I think it's more important in today's economy of leadership than it ever has been, that yeah. we're, we're willing to be, to not just be the person who thinks it, but we're actually the, the leader who does it. Yeah, the world is flatter. And you're right. I mean, we're in an anti-authoritarian, anti-establishmentarianism sort of culture these days where nobody's impressed by your title and nobody's really no. impressed by what you did. It's like, it's just a different world. So I thought, yeah, go ahead. You, what? You, well, you will get found. I mean, found out is the wrong oh, way to yeah. say it. That sounds really but negative. Yeah. But Yeah, they'll smell you. You'll, you'll be discovered as if you can't execute, um, you're not going to probably end up rising to a lot of the levels in an organization, church, nonprofit, whatever, business that you want to. Right. Because you have to be able to do that to, to prove yourself now to go to the next level. Now, that's a, that's a really good point. So it's a three of those together. Humble, you know, be humble, stay hungry always hustle that kind of produce that leadership you're talking about. And, and again, Brad, just congratulations. It's one of my absolute favorite leadership books, and I'm looking forward to reading every single word and sharing it with a lot of friends. Uh, at the end of the book, you talk to a number of key leaders and ask them what the hardest part of leadership has been for them. Any answers that surprised you in that section that you're kind of, and these are like household names, at least in church world, um, any surprises there? Well, I mean, I think in general, the surprising thing was that the th- the hardest parts of leadership that these folks were pointing out were not the hardest parts of leadership I would have thought they would have pointed out. Huh. You know, I, I would have thought it would have been casting vision and, um, you know, creating a culture, uh, like these big sort of esoteric pieces of, of leadership. And it ended up being really practical, like conversations that are, I have a hard time, uh, confronting people in the conversations that are actually for their betterment. You know, I, right. I have a, I have a hard time writing, uh, an email of apology. I have a hard time mm-hmm. being willing to go to that person and say, I'm sorry, or that I messed up. I have a hard time. The hardest things are, are, are actually like finding people who will go on the journey with me. So it ended up being stuff that's really practical right? that I, that I thought would actually sort of not show up in those kind of answers. Um, so they're just like us. They are just like us. Yes. And, and it, it just reminded me that leadership's hard, you know, and, yep. and one of the big points of this book and the reason I'm writing it is leadership is hard work. And so it has to be habitual work. You know, yep. if, if, if you don't think leadership is hard, just stick around for a while. And, and the more you lead, the more you'll realize that it, it's it'll really get hard. hard. I promise yeah. you. Yeah. And How about, oh, go ahead. Well, and if something's hard, if something's difficult, you actually have to be intentional about putting processes in place to, to, to get it done. And this is true in weight loss. It's true in quitting smoking. It's true in getting healthy. You know, it's true in becoming a better father. Like anything that's really hard, you actually have to be more intentional about, about systems. And so I would just argue that leadership's hard. So it has to have habits that are built into it. Hardest part of leadership for you in this most recent season? Yeah, I, I think for me, it's actually the reality that I am—I um, don't have a team hmm. that is sort of my team, and it's the first time in twenty, I guess twenty around twenty years of career life that I don't—I don't have a team that I'm actually like leading. And I'm, you know, I have people that I'm influencing 
through consulting and speaking and writing, but I don't have a team right now. Man, Brad, I can see that that, that would just be difficult. Yeah, it is. And, you know, uh, so at some point, I think in the next year, two or three, I'll probably jump back into a team environment and be part of a team and leading a team. But it, it this season has remind me, it reminded me that, you know, going on a journey with, with people is really fun. And, yeah. uh, you know, and it doesn't mean this season is not fun for me. It's, it's a different season, but that's definitely one thing I've, I've, I've missed and it's been difficult. It's been more difficult than I thought it would be for sure. Gary. Yeah. I, I can believe that and I can relate. And, uh, you know, people, people are awesome. They often present the challenges in leadership, but also the great reward in leadership. Totally get that. So yeah. Brad, I know people are going to want to get their, going to get their hands on the book. It was released last week and you actually kind of have a promotion for us, which is fun yeah. for podcast listeners. So let's talk about that. Well, uh, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're excited to be able to, to do some giveaways. So I, cool. you know, I, I think we can give away at least 25 copies of the book okay. to, your, to wow. your podcast listeners and, and maybe more, you know, well, I, like how's to throw, that? I like to throw things out there that then the publisher has to deliver on. Okay. And so I'm going to say at least 25 and, and man, if we can do 50, I may get in trouble, but you know, you, you ask forgiveness on the front end, right? And then you do ask later. So how are we going to give these away? This is fun. What do you want to do? Uh, how about this? How about we um, we have people comment on your blog? Okay, in the show notes. In the show notes, uh, maybe maybe uh, you know, sort of their reason why they should get a free copy of the book. Okay, and then between you or I, we can read those and then decide who gets those. So some of their story. So how about this? Yeah. You leave a comment on the blog, and I'll give you the exact coordinate for this uh, very shortly, but leave a comment on the blog. And then we'll actually, uh, Brad and I will go in there over what, the next seven days or so? We'll do yeah, that. You want- so whoever's in there, and then we'll, yeah, we'll choose those. Okay, that's cool. All right, so here's what Brad and I are going to do. We're going to jump into the comments. We will give away at least 25 copies of... H3 leadership. And just tell us a little bit about your story and why you want to lead better. Is that a good thing? Yeah, I think that's great. And don't okay. be like, you know, don't try to win a Pulitzer Prize here. We don't right, want to right, read, right. We don't really, like, read 10,000 words. I'm a young leader and want to uh, learn how to ask great questions, something like go. that. That, that'll exactly. work. That'll, that'll be great. So all you have to do is go to the show notes, which are kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 55. That's episode 55. Brad and I'll be on the blog. And I'm sure if they've got a question for you, Brad, uh, you'd be happy to answer as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no, that'd, cool. be, that'd be great. All right, that's great. And then uh, does the book have a website or they just find it on Amazon, on iBooks, all the usual places? Uh, it's all the places. Um, you can also go to my website, which is just my name, Brad Lominick dot right. com l-o-m-e-n-i-c-k dot com and then h3 leadership.com will also take you there so either right. one of those places and um actually if you know we'll still probably have some incentives up for like if you want to buy five or ten books we, we did right. some special offers for especially for teams or leadership teams or staffs um and those are those will be on those sites and then you can you can always uh hit me up on twitter or facebook Instagram, LinkedIn, any of those, just my name at Brad Lominick or any of those outlets. It's just my name. I will link to all of that in the show notes too. So Brad, this has been great. It's always fun connecting with you and thanks so much for what you're doing. And I'm excited to see leaders uh, get a hold of this, this new book and, and also just get better at what we do. 
Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, Carrie. I'm honored. Uh, thanks for believing in the book. And hey, it's exciting because you and I get to work on something. We do. That's going to be we happening talk about next that spring. A little bit. Well, I mean, I yeah. just, I didn't, I didn't know if we should, but I just. I don't I thought, know. Okay, I think we can talk know. about it, can't we? People we're working on a project together. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Connected to connected to Orange and whole new event called Rethink Rethink Leadership, which will be That's for right. senior leaders and senior pastors next spring. It's going to be a lot of fun. It is going to be a conference. Are we even calling it a conference? What is? I would it? say it's more of a of a conversation gathering. A gathering, a gathering in the in the you know that will lead to conversations. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be the end of April, twenty sixteen. I think it will be a gathering unlike any other, and yeah. uh, you need to apply to get in, which is going to be fun. That's right, and it's. I think you can actually. Uh, I think you can actually register right now uh-huh. if you if you go to rethinkseniorleadership.com. I believe that's the right URL. Okay, we'll make sure it's right in the show notes. Yeah, because when yeah. you and I are recording this, it's all still beta, beta, beta. That's for sure. Yeah. But, but you got to be uh, a senior leader. That's the you key have here. to be a senior leader. So you have to be like a senior leader, executive pastor, campus pastor type person. And it is going to be a conversation and a forum with man, all kinds of top leaders at it too. So it is it is going to be sensational. So just go to RethinkSeniorLeadership.com or whatever we end up putting in the show notes. And right. <laughs> if that doesn't work, if that takes you some crazy site, just look at the show notes. And yeah, uh, yeah there'll, be, there'll be a lot more details on that in 2016. But uh, we'd love to have you there. And I'm just excited about this limited attendance event uh, for top leaders that will be fantastic. Yeah, me too, man. Thanks again for having me on. I love Brad's transparency, don't you? I just totally do. By the way, you can get everything we talked about in the show notes today. Just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 55. And this is a great incentive to go to the show notes because if you're one of the people who leaves a comment this week, you are eligible to win one of 25 copies of H3 leadership, his brand new book. And again, I I said it at the beginning of the podcast, and I'm not saying this just because Brad's a friend, but this is the book I'm going to put into the hand of every young leader I work with. I I just think it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's a great book. So if you want a free copy, just go to the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 55, and tell us why you want a copy. Tell us maybe a leadership struggle you've got or something you're working on. And Brad and I will be in the comments this week. And then uh, in a week, we will pick 25 winners and you'll get a free copy shipped to you of H3 Leadership. In the meantime, if you want to pick up the book, you can do so. Uh, you can get it anywhere books are sold. And of course, on Amazon, it's called H3 Leadership. Be humble, stay hungry, always hustle. Great book. And next week, we are back. The best way to make sure you never miss an episode, including our awesome archive now. It's building every week of just top leaders who pour out their hearts and give their best leadership tips is to subscribe. And you can do that for free on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Hit the subscribe button. For all of you who keep leaving ratings and reviews of the podcast, thank you so much. That helps get it out in front of other leaders. iTunes pays attention to that. And it's so encouraging. So thank you. I read every one of them. I'm just so grateful. Thank you, everybody, for making this so awesome. And then next week, I'm back, and uh, we're going to do something we've never done before. Instead of being the interviewer, I will be the interviewee. And a friend that you may have met back in episode 16, Jeff Henderson, 
is going to interview me. Jeff's actually a really good friend. And we are going to unpack some of the principles for free in my new book, Lasting Impact. These are just seven conversations we've had at our church, I think could help your church grow. And we're going to talk about why churches don't grow fast enough, how to scale your ministry, uh, why young adults are walking away from the church. We're going to talk about volunteerism and why is it in such rough shape in so many churches. So all of that. And that's next week. So I'm really looking forward to it. And it is the day next Tuesday. Uh, when Lasting Impact releases. So it'll be a big celebration, but we'll give you all that content that we can uh, for free, as usual, here on the podcast. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being part of this. And uh, I am on the Orange Tour this fall. I will be in Washington, D.C. on Friday. So if you're in the area, just go to orangetour.org and make sure you register. Also going to be stopping in Indianapolis uh, later this fall, I think in mid-October. And then early November, we'll be in Austin and Dallas, and then wrap it all up in Nashville in the middle of November. You can get all the details on orangetour.org. Seriously, one of the highlights for me is just meeting you, hearing your stories, and being able to connect. So we'll see you next week. Thanks so much. And if you want to get your uh, pre-order bonuses for Lasting Impact, you can get that at lastingimpactbook.com. Thanks. And I really do hope that our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.